Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 194 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Got to tell you, I'm excited about this episode. You may or may not know the name Jerry Hurley, but he is uh, one of the guys behind the scenes that has been hugely influential in the development of one of the largest and most effective churches in America, and that's Life Church. Um, Craig Rochelle, Bobby Grunwald, that whole team. Jerry joined them very early in their development. Like you've got to go way back to like 19, are you ready for this? 1998. Um, Life Church was a single site running about 600 people. He was working at Target at the time. And he came on board and really helped Craig Grishel. And Craig would be the first one to tell you this. By the way, we had Craig on back uh, beginning of the year, episode 173. You do not want to miss that one. But Jerry kind of challenged Craig and said, dude, you got to get out of the way. Like, this thing's not going to grow. You're, the way you're leading it is going to cap out growth. Well, today, <laughs> Life Church is over 80,000 regular attenders, 29 locations and counting. And Jerry's been there the whole way. So he talks about how he had that conversation with Craig, what his role has been, how Life Church finds staff, how they develop staff. He talks all about scale and even leaving the corporate world and uh, the difference that that made for him. So I, I think this this was a riveting conversation. You know, one of the other things I love about today's episode is. Sometimes, I mean, if, if, if you know Church World at all, and, and most of you do, you know, you say Life Church, people go, oh, that's Craig. And we have this idea like it's a one-person show, right? You know, the guy or the woman at, top, at the top is responsible for, for everything. And obviously, their leadership is pivotal, but that's never the case. Even in the largest churches, there's always an amazing team. And so hopefully this helps dispel that myth. And just so you know, subscribers, you get this automatically. If you haven't subscribed and you're listening to this, would you do it? It's free. Now, we release a new episode every Tuesday, but moving forward, occasionally, there's going to be more than one episode a week. Uh, just because we're so far ahead on this podcast, we have so many good, good guests lined up. We have so many good guests lined up that I just thought, well, once in a while, we're going to drop an extra one. And uh, the only way you're going to know about that is if you follow on social, which you can, everything's in the show notes, or if you subscribe. So make sure if you haven't done that yet, that you do that. Two things I want to let you know about. My brand new course on preaching is coming out next month. If you have not signed up for the wait list, I would encourage you to do it. Mark Clark and I, Mark's a, a friend from Canada. He leads a church of about 5,000 people four locations, two provinces. It's a pretty powerful story uh, and a very different style than, than, than I have, actually. Uh, but we're really good friends. He and I teamed up and we're doing The Art of Better Preaching. So you can sign up for the wait list. There's some special incentives there at theartofbetterpreaching.com. Uh, that course releases next month and I am so pumped. I mean, I'm going to walk you through how to give a talk without using notes, like in detail. How can you do that? How can you walk away from your manuscript? We're going to talk about how to create a killer bottom line. How can you create a message that people will remember a decade later? How do I know? Well, 
I'm shocked, but there are people who talk about something that I spoke about five, 10 years ago, and they remember it with tremendous clarity because of what I'll teach you in that course. So it's designed to help you become a better communicator, whatever your communication style is or your gifting is. Uh, so head on over to theartofbetterpreaching.com. Join the waitlist today. That is going to go live shortly. I want to get you in on everything. Also, um, you have any design needs like kind of the whole planet does at this point, whether you're designing a book, whether you're designing a website, maybe you need new logo for your church or for your business. Um, design Crowd is somebody that we're using as well. Uh, you're going to see some of their work on my platform over the summer. And here's the problem. You're like, oh, I got to afford a, a graphic designer or, you know, I'll do this myself or you try to figure it out. Or, you know, somebody gives you a multi-thousand dollar quote and then you don't like their, their work. Well, here's the deal with Design Crowd. They crowdsource it. So they have over 600,000 designers all over the world. And what you do is you post a brief description on their website. You register for all that. Uh, Design Crowd invites all of their designers to submit. And within hours, you'll get your first design proposal. And then over the course of the next week or so, you'll typically get 60 to 100 different designers. So you can pick price, you can pick design. I mean, you've already pre-selected the design and they, you haven't spent a penny at this point. And then you pick the best design and just pay the designer. That's how it works. And because you listen to this podcast, you're a VIP. So head on over to designcrowd.com forward slash carry. That's designcrowd.com forward slash C-A-R-E-Y. You'll not only learn more, but you'll get $100 off your first project if you use the code or the website uh, carry. So designcrowd.com forward slash carry. Uh, don't worry about how to get your design done in the future. Let them take care of it for you. Well, with all that said, Here's my conversation with Jerry Hurley, former Target executive and for the last 20 years, member of the senior leadership team at Life Church, based out of Oklahoma, where he is the team development leader. Here's my conversation with Jerry. Well, it's exciting to have Jerry Hurley on the podcast. Jerry, these days you are the team development leader at Life Church, one of my favorite churches in Oklahoma and really all over the place these days, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. 29 locations this weekend. I was going to ask you for the for the the current count uh, because when we had Craig on to kick off 2018, uh, I think you've launched since then. And, I, we uh, have. We've launched one, and our well, this will be our second one. We launched one last weekend, and we got one this weekend coming up. Awesome, yeah. And and as Craig shared before, you know, this is not the end of the vision. You guys are are still mid stride. Uh, you know, it just seems like from my perspective, we're just getting started, which is. Um, incredibly exciting and a little bit scary at the same time. It's a fun place to be, though. You know what? I just celebrated uh, my 53rd birthday when we're recording this. And if you would have told me when I was 35 or even 15 that at 53, I would feel like I'm just getting started, I would have said, no, I think you're almost dead at that age, aren't you? Like, <laughs> I, how does that work? And That's it's exactly it's a wonderful right. place to be. I feel like I'm young. I feel like I'm just getting started. And I, I just see blue sky in front of me. I don't know. You guys feel the same way, do you? We feel exactly the same way, both personally and I'm a couple of years ahead of you, but still, sky's blue. I don't, I don't know if I've, I may have hit the top of the hill yet, but I, I, I don't know. <laughs> it seems like I'm picking up speed, but I don't, I don't know. But everything seems great, both organizationally and personally. It's uh, pretty good times. Yeah, it's interesting. If you could ever figure out what that is, just bottle it, and I'm sure you would have a long line of people who would, who'd want some of that because. 
I don't think, I wish it was more common than it is, but I don't think it is that common. A lot of people, they sort of hit a certain, you know, organizational lifestyle or life cycle, I should say. A lot of people talk about that these days. And, you know, Life Church is, what, 96, so 22 years old and mm-hmm. yeah. um, still soaring, which is exceptional. And, uh, you know, it's, it does, but we, you know, we study that organizational life cycle stuff quite a bit and have for really for a long time. And, um, but we just really think that we want to stay in, in prime. And so the organizations, all organizations die at some point, but our thing is, man, not on our watch. It's going to be somebody <laughs> else's problem, not on our watch. We're going to do our best to keep it in as healthy and as prime as we possibly can. So I know this isn't in any of the formal questions I sent you, but since we're there, I know that Craig's talked about this on his leadership podcast. I think it's that like massively dense book on organizational life cycle (laughs) that everyone's afraid to read, but he's read. And you probably read some other stuff, Les McHugh and Tony Morgan. They've been guests on this podcast. In, In a nutshell, when you think about all that study you've done of organizational lifestyle, why do you think in... 22 years, uh, you haven't yet maxed out the potential that God has given you. What, what are the two or three ingredients that really keep coming up to you in your mind as, right. hey, if we focus on this, we are not going to peak? Well, I think, you know, as far as when you understand, okay, organizational life cycle and what actually causes an organization to start to die yeah. is when administration, which is one of the management inputs, if administration overreaches, it oversteps. Mm-hmm. Administration is mm-hmm. important. Okay, yeah. but when it, what happens when that when it, when when the system when the systems began to be when the organizations begin to serve the systems rather than the systems always serving the organization? All right, so when you start yeah. to build systems that the organization has to serve those systems, what happens is is your all your entrepreneurs, your innovators, all leave True. because so because it's just not worth the hassle. Uh, yeah. and, and there's other places to go, and they're the ones that see out the farthest on the horizon. So when they start to see that, it's just no fun for them to come and, and make change and innovate. So really the key is is to, one, just recognize that simple fact and always make sure that, um, that any system that we build has to be built to serve the organization and keep it fluid and fresh. And so, so that's a big part of it. And the other part of it is just mindset. It's what do you allow yourself to do? Do you allow yourself to believe that we're big and slow or do you allow yourself to, to continually force yourself to think that we're small and nimble and that we're just, and if your mindset is we're just getting started, we're small and nimble, then the expressions of what you do every day are going to follow that mindset. Okay, so small and nimble, but you're, you said 29 locations? And right. how many people on the weekend now? I mean, you're pushing 100K uh, some Sundays. Oh, well, yeah. Over, you know, Easter will be well over that. And a couple other times we'll break that in the year 100, but average in the, you know, in the 80s, probably 80,000. Okay. So 80,000. I mean, that's a town. That's a city. How do you stay small and nimble when you're 29 locations and 80,000 people? So it's all perspective, right? So when it comes to, you could look at that and say, oh my gosh, for, for the church mindset, that's, that's big. But right. when you take, that's about the size of a regional grocery store chain in number of locations, right? And so <laughs> take, take Yum! Brands or take, you know, uh, a million team members at every continent on the planet and thousands of locations. That's complicated, mm. right? 650 employees, 29 locations, nine states. That's manageable. Uh, so it's just, again, it's just that mindset. Um, and so we just don't allow ourselves to think that way. And we just force ourselves to stay flat 
and to stay connected to the people that we connect with. And uh, when you do that, it just seems like it, uh, it's true. It, it, it's not, honestly, my, my life is easier today than it was in 1999 and in 2000. Okay. Tell, tell me why. Because, because in 1999 and 2000, we didn't have any systems. We were, we were trying to keep up. God has always done incredible things at Life Church. He's always been way ahead of us in, in every way. And so we just spend most of our time, Life Church, I think everybody would agree, is not a product of our great leadership. It's just a product of what God decided to do in a, in a church in Oklahoma. And what we spend most of our to, time doing is just figuring, okay, God, what are you up to? How do I, how do I understand what you're up to? And then how can I not get in the way of it and then come alongside and bring my efforts to just kind of come alongside what you're doing and try to, once I, once I understand what you're doing, then I can bring my effort in to make sure that we find a way to systematize it or bring processes in place to, to move it forward and bring the right people along beside that, uh, alongside that vision. Cause God always, whatever reason he chooses to, um, to use people to accomplish what he wants to do on, on, on earth. And so then we bring the right people around it. So really, um, that's what it's all about. So, but in 1999, 2000, 2001, we didn't have any of these systems mm. and we were trying to, and it, it was one of the big eye openers that I came from, from the corporate world into the ministry world, particularly life church, was there was no systems. And it, what became apparent to me is it's a lot harder to build the systems as you go than it is to run even a much larger organization with systems already in place. And so it's, it's, it's all those kinds of things. Okay, so you came in from Target, right? You were, what was your responsibility at Target? The last responsibility that I had at Target was the district team leader for the, their stores in Oklahoma and West Texas. All right, so that would be similar to almost where you are now. You were, you were, you know, Target. How many, how many people was Target at that time? You must have had. Oh, in, in the in the district that I was responsible for, I think I had probably twenty five hundred, twenty six hundred team members. Wow. Probably in that in that district, but Target would have been, I don't know, tens of Massive. thousands of members. Yeah. yeah, yeah, nationwide, yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah, and so you came from that to Life Church, and mm-hmm. it's interesting that you would say that it was more complicated then. So catch us up with your three or four, well, three years, I guess, into mm-hmm. the birth of Life Church at that time. Uh, how many staff? How many people attending? Did you have multiple services? What did that? Were you multi-site yet? Sure. No, we weren't multi-site. I joined the team in 1998. Um, started attending in 1997. Started volunteering heavily with uh, for Craig and with Craig in uh, probably early 1998. Again, joined the team as the executive pastor at that point. And the church was about 600. Oh, wow. We did have three, four weekend, two on Saturday night. Probably five actually weekend experiences by that time. Uh, so we were already multi-experience at that point. We had a little building that wouldn't hold many people. That's why we had to have so many worship services. Right. Um, so so that's what it was. Six hundred people. I was probably team member number five hmm. on the team at that point in time. We had an administrator. We had somebody, kids, and youth, and um, a bookkeeper, and then Craig and I. So maybe it was five or six. And so the, the, for, for me coming in, I remember the first day I, I walked into the office, the first thing I felt was really alone because <laughs> I had, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I had no ministry experience. And so I had just come from a place where I had plenty of people that whatever I needed to be done would be done. And, um, well, that certainly wasn't the case anymore. So I remember that very first day it was like, okay, 
there's nobody here. So I just had to learn. Honestly, I had to learn how to how to lead in a ministry context, which is one of the bigger challenges that that I personally had to do is just how to how does that work? Uh, and there were some really valuable lessons along the way and some key insights that God uh, gave me along the way. Um, but fortunately, there there wasn't a lot of systems that I had to adapt to because Life Church was so new that there really wasn't a lot of well-designed systems. So that was good. And then so we got to kind of build them as we went. And, and the people that God kind of brought to the team at that time, most of them were kind of like me, you just come right out of the business world, no real ministry experience. And so when we built systems, when the systems began to be built at Life Church, they were all really probably more looked like what business systems would be rather than traditional church kinds of systems. How we organize the staff, particularly once we went multi-site, we went, we went all in and we built a structure that would look mirrored a lot more what Target would do than what a traditional church would do. See, I think you're reading the mail of a lot of church leaders. I mean, 80,000, there's like maybe three listeners who can relate to that, <laughs> and they're all on your staff, um, and maybe a few Hillsong people. Um, but, yeah, you know, you, you get into 600 people, and all of a sudden, you know, most of the listeners can see that or feel that or whatever. Sure. And, and so it's really interesting to me, that you would join at that level when there's, you know, a handful of staff. You can you can actually have staff meeting at a booth at a restaurant, right? Like those oh, are yeah. those are interesting days, and I'm sure you yeah, did absolutely. at times. Oh yeah. Um, why uh, there's so many places I want to go. Why did you leave corporate? Because I think this is a dream that a lot of pastors have, and very few see it realized. It's like there are amazing business women and men in their church. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're making more money probably in corporate than they ever will at a church or initially will at a church. And sure. um, what what was your reasoning in making the move? Well, first of all, Craig asked me, but there's a story behind that. Is yeah. I had been called I'd been called to ministry, I believed, in 1992, which would have been six years before I actually came on the team. And I was living in Southeast Texas at the time, attending a very traditional small. Uh, East Texas Baptist Church at that point in time. And I felt this call to ministry, but I didn't know what to do with it. I had, oh, wow. I had no seminary training. I didn't know what to do with it. And I was struggling for about six months after I was I was sure that I was called. And I had a conversation with an older, wiser person, which I always recommend if you're struggling, have a mm. conversation with somebody older and wiser. And I just told him the story. And he asked me a couple of questions. And he said, are you sure you're called to ministry? And I said, yes. He said, well, then what I would do is I would continue to prepare professionally, spiritually, in every way. And then when God opens the door, walk through it. And it was wow. like, and that's just what that did. It just took all the pressure off because I was trying to make something happen. Hmm. And, um, and so I look back in the six years that happened, you know, that's a long time to wait. And there were times I was frustrated with God, why aren't you going to open this door? Uh, but when I think about God's trajectory for me, um, man, the time at Target being a district team leader was critical to what God's plan was for me. Yeah, he was preparing and, uh, you. You needed that skill set. Uh, I did, and so and there's so much that happened growth wise over those six years in in the interim. Um, and then so when Craig invited me onto the team, that was a no brainer for me because the decision had already been made six years ago that when I had an opportunity, I was going to walk through. Now, it's no small thing either that that Life Church was, even though it was small, it was obvious that God was was one that Craig was a gifted evangelist. It was obvious. He was an incredibly gifted, at that point, 28-year-old, 29-year-old leader. But I, you could just see 
the ability in him, even, even at that, you know, relatively young age. And it was obvious that God was moving because people's lives, lives were being changed. People were coming to Christ routinely, weekly. Um, and it was vibrant. And so it didn't, it was a no brainer for me. And, and, and there was a, a, a financial hurdle to overcome, but, uh, but it was, but again, that decision had already been made. And then when the opportunity presented itself, I was, I was able to walk through it. We have a growing number of business leaders listening, and I imagine you piqued their curiosity. So when you were in corporate, how did you know you were called to ministry? What did that look like for you? Well, for me, it was, it was as clear to me as, as the, when, I became, when I became a Christian, which for me was six years old when I was young. And it was a very clear conversation. You know, it's one of those conversations with God. I, I like the way Craig says it. It, was, it wasn't an audible voice, but it was, it was almost louder than audible. <laughs> just how God was just, and so it was just very clear that he was, um, uh, that he wanted me to, to come It was, it was a conversation with God and he just said, I, I want, I want you to, I want you to full-time ministry someday. And I fought it initially, honestly, mm-hmm. for, mm-hmm. for, for a bit, for a time. And, um, and, um, my wife could tell something was bothering me as my wife will often, you know, wives are great about that. And, mm-hmm. and she asked me about it, asked me what was bothering me. And I told her. And it was simple for her. She just said, well, then why are you even struggling with that answer? I mean, if you could, God's calling ministry, well, why, why is that a struggle? And so that was clarity. And, and so th- then, then, of course, I already explained the struggle I had with, now what do I do with this call? Um, and and I, I think there's, um, I, I think sometimes we, um, we can get overly focused on the what we do. And, and God's always interested in the who we are. And, um, and so for ministry leaders that are business leaders that are, that are, that are struggling with that, I I would just say, if you feel God tugging in that direction, one, I don't know why I'd fight it because I don't think there's anything to be afraid of on the other side of it. And, and sometimes that could actually be in conjunction with the platform that you already have. You know, not, not everybody called a ministry is called a full-time ministry. Right. Sometimes you're called to ministry in any number of different ways. And so if someone's struggling with that, I, I would just say, man, I don't think there's, there's any value in resisting that because I don't know that God will contend with us forever. Uh, I know he's a gracious God and, and I know that he, that he wants the best for us. But, but if I just continually turn my back on, on something he wants, I don't know how long he's going to continue just to contend with me. And the end result is he'll find somebody else to do what he wants to do. It, I'm the one. I'm the one that's going to miss out on the blessing and and the joy of being part of whatever God wants to accomplish on on this planet. Um, but anyway, so I, I just would say if if a business leader's here and you're wrestling with that, I wouldn't I wouldn't resist it. I would step into it, and then and then don't be so focused on okay now what do I do? I would focus on okay now who does God want me to be, and trust that God's going to make all of those work all of those things out. I, I think it's true. Uh, I think in my life, and in, and I tell people this, young leaders all the time. I don't believe God wastes time in our lives, experiences. E- even when I do stuff that I think, oh my gosh, how is God ever going to use that stupid mistake I did, or the dumb thing, or the decision, whatever it is? But God has a way of redeeming all of those past mistakes that we make, and even the experiences that we have. And when God calls us to a ministry, He is. All of those experiences of our whole life, I believe, have led up to that point. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we can get caught up in the moment and lose sight of that. 
but I believe it's true in my life. I don't know if that's true in your life or not. When you think of your experiences and the different pieces that brought you to where you are today, it's, it's easy to look back and draw, draw that, make all those dots connect. It's much harder in, when you're in the moment to connect them all. The older I get, the easier it gets. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that was sort of my next question for you because I have a law background. And I know for right. me, it was really difficult in the early years coming out of law to try to figure out how any of that training or gifting would mm-hmm. be used in ministry. For you, when you came over from Target, Target rather, in your experience in you know corporate leadership, was that hard for you to see how that skill set would fit in in the church in the early days, or was it hard for the church when you came in with sort of a corporate mindset? Uh, you know, I, I think it, I think there was pieces of it. One, what I needed to learn how to do that I, that the corporate mindset or the corporate experience did not prepare me for is leading through volunteers appropriately. Mm. Mm-hmm. And my, early on, I underutilized volunteers um, because I just that wasn't a gear that I had exercised. Right. Because it was it was more. I always was an influential leader because the way my makeup is. But still, you don't you don't always realize how much you rely, or even even consciously or not, the position that you have to uh, and how people respond to that. Um, and working with volunteer leaders, that's obviously different. So that was a big. Um, something that I had to learn. Again, I, I think if the church had been five years older by the time I actually came on the team and it had mm-hmm. systems in place, I think there would have been, it would have been much more difficult for the church then to adjust to my specific leadership style. Um, but then um, the Craig really was the one that had to, because Craig was more experienced in ministry than I was. I was probably more experienced leader than Craig was at that point. Mm-hmm. So there was, there was, um, there were things that he had and things that I had that were different. And Craig was very patient with me mm-hmm. and very, and very intentional with me at helping me become a pastor and a, pa- and, and building the pastoral part of my leadership. Um, so he really gets a lot of credit for kind of trusting me through that process and kind of, um, kind of allowing some of the mistakes that I made and allowing me to fail along the way and, and being supportive when I made those mistakes and when I did fail, um, that he still had faith in me and trusted me and, and was able to, to help kind of guide me in, in some of the places where I needed to be, where I needed his leadership and guidance uh, specifically related to that. What did he do for you that helped you understand becoming a pastor, like working in a pastoral setting? What were some of the things that made a difference? Oh, I mean, no, I mean, like for us, it was, it was basics and it wasn't just, you know, Life Church was really young and, and most of the people coming on the team did not, they weren't, they wouldn't have any, Craig was the only seminary graduate that we had on the team for years. Now, now we have plenty, but, but back yeah. in the day, he didn't. In fact, he said that he used to say he went to seminary so we wouldn't have to, but, um, but anyways, I have so, that. I mean, li- literally, I mean, he, he went and, and I mean, he taught us how to, I mean, the ba- I'm talking nuts and bolts, how to, how to officiate a wedding, how mm-hmm. to officiate a funeral. He would work with us. And this is something that we do to this day with our leaders is, is every once a week, probably we work with a, most, most of our local churches, our campuses, they'll work with young leaders on stage communication. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, j- just, just how, how do you, how do you lead somebody from stage? How do you communicate an offering? How do you, how do you set up the, the message that's coming up? How do you, I mean, all of those things that he would just practice with us and work with us in, in a really 
in a very hands-on, practical, nuts and bolts, hey, I'm going to teach you how to be a pastor sort of a way. And, I'm, um, and, um, and, and he can be, he, he's a, one, a great communicator and, and yeah. he gives, gives great feedback and he's, uh, and he's not afraid to challenge you along the way, which made us better. Right. I know that Craig has told the story of, and I think it was you, but I could be wrong. It might have been someone else on the team in the early days who kind of said to him, Craig, this could be an incredibly um, big and influential church, but like you have got to get out of the way. And I think Craig said, you know, one of the staff challenged his, you know, we all have control freak tendencies. So it was that. Was that you or do you remember that moment? Yeah, I do. It was me. I I thought so. I tied a rope around my waist and went in with bells on to go have the conversation. No, Just in case you died in the Holy of Holies. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. (laughs) Uh, No, you you know, um, that conversation um, was a very simple conversation to have. And, And really, it is really more of, a testament to really Craig's response to that rather than there was any, any skill that I had in delivering that message. I was respectful, but, but really Craig is even before that time, life church has a very high feedback culture mm. and that it does because Craig models a high feedback. He, he gives feedback, but he also asks for feedback and receives feedback and everything that he does. So that's not an unusual thing. And even the openness with which that I could have that conversation with Craig was not, an unusual thing. And so really it's more of a testament to somebody who has Craig's leadership ability um, and acumen that, that he does and certainly that he's grown into over the years, but to, but to allow others to lead completely and fully and to trust them to lead. And, and, and even in those days, particularly, um, I don't know that I was, and if I was in his shoes, I would probably think, I don't know, Jerry, I want to trust you, but man, you're still learning a lot of this pastoral stuff. So there was a, there was a lot of trust on his part to actually do that. And, and so most of the credit does go to Craig and how he responded to that. And then to actually see how that's progressed over the years. And, um, and I do think it's a big part of what God's been able to do here, not because Craig is not capable of leading at that level. He certainly is. But when you give um, high capacity leaders the ability to lead, then you can, it's just what you get back from that is more than you have generally any right to ask. And I call it discretionary energy. Um, and so when you let people lead like that, then you get discretionary energy back, which is energy I don't have any right to expect and probably not any energy or, or that I have a right to ask for, but you're able to get it. What was the advice that you gave him or you know, the messaging you gave him at that time? Yeah, really, I think the essence of it was that he was incredibly gifted uh, there are some things that he was, that he's incredibly gifted at. And I wanted, what I simply wanted to do was to free him up to focus more of his time and energy on those things that he was actually incredibly gifted at. Right. The vision casting, the communication, the, 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 the key leadership moments that, that really he's the one that needs to sit and stand in that place. And what I just wanted to do was to free him up with taking some of the things that, that I could bring to the table Really, so just make him more effective at the things that he's already amazing at. So that was really the essence of it is I want to give you more time to do this. And that means you'll just let me do this. And that'll actually accomplish, it'll accomplish good things for both of us. Well, I think he has called that one of the most important early 
<clears throat> lessons, pardon me, in his leadership in the early days of Life Church. And mm-hmm. um, we often, I mean, I find this with myself and with a lot of other people. It, it was a case, it sounds like, that what Craig was just in the weeds too much. He was, he was involved too generally and needed to start to focus. Yeah, I, I think he just, well, for, he, first of all, he loves, he loves the church. Yeah. And, yeah. and it was just his passion. It was, yep. I don't, I don't even think it was, I, I, I want it's not a trust issue because Craig's always no. trusted and, but it's just a passion. He loves, he loved the building that we were building and he wanted to be a part of it. And he loved, you know, it was just, that, that's really what it was more than anything else. And, um, you know, when we put the directional leadership team together, um, you know, probably by the time that team fully formed is probably 2001. And it was a little bit like a um, six-year-old soccer team. You know, everybody's <laughs> together chasing the ball around because everybody wants to be a part. Everybody wants to right. be together. And what, what you got to realize is at some point you got to start playing soccer. And that means you have a position to play. Um, and so we, we figured that out over the course of time. But uh, it's because we were just all excited about everything. Uh, so that's really more what it was. Well, and the reason I want to drill down on it is I think that is a challenge for the vast majority of leaders listening, uh, particularly if there's growth potential that, you know, I'm firmly convinced that one of the major, some of the major growth inhibitors to churches that have trajectory and potential has nothing to do with spiritual reasons. I mean, there's all kinds of potential there. It's just, we don't know how to lead at a higher level. And having heard Craig talk about how grateful he is for that conversation, mm-hmm. how much it pivoted his leadership, and now it's not, you know, he's not leading 2.7 locations, but it's sometimes that stuff that, that is the difference between 2.7 and 27 locations, sure. right? Or no, 29. Yeah, that and, and that's why I wanted to drill down on that. Like, that was a gift. And, um, and obviously, he had the wisdom and the humility to listen to that. Yes, and. I think it's that that move from generalist where there is a season. I mean, you know, when you got thirty people or fifty people, you better be involved in it all. Because um, if you just sit in your office and vision cast, uh, you only got thirty people to vision cast to. But uh, what? How big? If you remember the sequence at that time, how large would Life Church have been around that time? Because incredibly gifted leaders can take it up to a thousand or even over a thousand by still being in the weeds. But it kind of breaks down mm-hmm. after that. Well, we, that conversation was, um, bef- right. I would say probably about the time we hit a thousand, right before we moved yeah. into our first building that we planted that we, then we moved to 1500 and just shortly after that, really the first weekend we moved into the, the, the building, the first building that we actually built. Uh, so it would have been, um, late 1998, early 1999. And we were about a thousand people yeah. or so. And a really um, skilled leader can take it there as a generalist. Um, most mm-hmm. people would have maxed out at 400 or 300 or 500, but somebody, right. you know, and it might have stretched to 1,500, who knows, mm-hmm. um, before the system broke down. Um, right. Oh, that's, that, thank you for sharing that. And um, that's, that's really helpful. And I think you've read the mail of a lot of leaders. You know, I, I've started quoting this from a friend of mine, a mentor of mine, you know, in the business world, I think there's 27 million businesses in the United States with a uh, million dollars or less in general revenues. There's only 220,000 businesses with over a million dollars in revenue. And wow. often it's the same scale issue. It's just mm-hmm. we don't know how to lead at a higher sure. level. There's only 14,000 businesses at over 10 million in revenue. So it's a pretty big, same with church world, right? 200, oh, yeah. 600, 1,000 people 
you know, sure. 10,000 people on those campuses. I mean, Craig's done a leadership mm-hmm. podcast. What is it? The rule of three, 10 and 30, is it? I think. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. yeah. You got to subscribe yeah, to Craig's amazing. podcast if you haven't, guys. It's amazing. Yeah, you do. link to it in the show notes. It's 20 minutes yeah. of rocket fuel that I don't know how to do. It's just exceptional. <laughs> um, he does a great job with it. He does. He does. That's his, that's his specialty. Um, let's keep on with scale. What are some of the biggest okay. challenges that you faced either personally or with your leadership team as Life Church has grown? You know, I think personally, I think I've already talked about most of the my personal challenges, just understanding how to um, just how to make that transition. It was a relatively, I think, quick learning curve, <laughs> sometimes painful, mm. but relatively quick. But I think we faced um, as a leadership team, I think that's different. I think a leadership team, it, it just comes down to understanding each other first. And, um, you know, one of the great, one of the best books, I think if you want to read a book that helps explain how to actually come together as a leadership team, some of Lencioni's work, even the advantage or the four of you know, build a cohesive leadership team. And we just took that stuff to heart, really worked hard to, to understand each other, understand our unique specific gift sets, understand how we work together. Uh, and, and I think it's important. Some people, you know, Craig and I, for example, are exact opposites typologically from a personality perspective. I'm an INFP, he's an ESTJ, and, and people have asked sometimes, well, which one of you, when, when, you, when you're at odds, which one of you uh, wins the most? You know, who, who, who do you go with? And, and I, th- I think that's missing the point. The point mm-hmm. is, is both of us should get to someplace new because we, we have each other's, we have each, each other's perspective to, that can help us get to someplace new. And I think collectively as a leadership team, I think that we work hard to always get someplace new, get to get to a place where that's a better decision than I could make better decision that, that I think we can make a better decision collectively. Mm. Uh, if, if, if we will just bring all of ourselves to the table and understand each other well and, uh, and have a mechanism to talk through issues in a way that's productive and healthy. And then when you come to a conclusion, then walk away in agreement and never look back. Yeah. Uh, and I, and I think that's probably been the key for us as a leadership team. There have been, times that the team has been challenged and stressed, but, but it's always come back at the end of the day that, um, we trust each other implicitly and, and, um, and we're always going to make sure that, that we're unified as we walk away from any decision that we have. Is that a little bit like a disagree and commit, um, philosophy that Henry Cloud talks about that even if the, in, in that handful of people, you can't get consensus or, or you end up like, you know what, we're just not going to call this one the same way, but Craig, you're the senior leader or, um, Jerry, this one's your call. Cause it's kind of your area or Bobby, if this is where you want to take, mm-hmm. um, you know, the digital strategy, we don't understand, we may disagree, but we commit to it. Is it that kind of culture? Um, yeah, I, I think here's the thing. I think, I think if there was a significant disagreement, like it was, okay, this is something that I just cannot get on board with. We would talk that through. Yeah. You get to the, you would get to the point where, where we, where we at least came to the point that, that we at least understand what we're doing and everybody's like, okay, I I may not, I may do, I may, I may approach this a little bit differently, but, but yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to get on board. So disagree and commit is a good way to look at it. And here's the other thing too is, is I think sometimes people can make such big deals about those kinds of things. And, um, and I, I think what's helped is there's so many opportunities to make. It. So if I look at it like, okay, this is a big decision and, 
and I'm going to die on this hill, man, you're going to miss 20 other opportunities. I would just look at it as this is one of 100 decisions we get to make together. So I may disagree and commit on this one, and I'm going to be 100% for it when we walk out of this room. But that's just one of, there's going to be 20 more. And I'm, I'm going to be, I want to have the option to get into that 20. Yeah. Are the, are the 30 after this? Are the 100 after that? Uh, so I think we can overly focus on any one decision along the way and kind of miss the bigger picture of what God wants to do in a particular team through a particular group of leaders over the long haul. No, I think that's a good perspective. And I, I just find the more that I handle, the longer I lead. Um, there are many times I just don't understand. And it's like, all right, well, you're the expert. Let's just go ahead. Right. And um, it's amazing how often others are right. And how often if I had trusted, you know, the little I knew in that moment, we would be further behind. Sure. Um, that's good to know. Anything else on scale, Jerry? Um, I mean, you guys have done it so well. You know, we faced all these challenges, finances, people, structure, systems, processes. Those are the yeah. big challenges that you have. And we face challenges in every each every one of those areas. Um, I think that uh, moving forward, I think the kind of the bigger the biggest challenges that we have are people and systems at this point, mm. um, and just making sure our systems scale and that we don't ever get in the our systems can cannot ever get in the way of what we want to try to do. And they're always I talked earlier about making sure our systems always serve the organization well, yeah. serve the people in the organization well. And then it's just a matter of making sure we have enough of the right people in the right place. So let's talk about that because you are team development at Life Church, which is no small task. It's not like, you know, you're probably hiring every week, if not daily sometimes. Yeah, we'll hire over 100 people a year. Wow. And you've kept it lean. Did I hear you say 650 staff? We have 650 staff, yes. Now, and I, I know most people are like, gosh, we don't have 650 people. But actually, when you're doing 80,000 people on a weekend, peaking at over 100, that's actually relatively lean compared to other organizations your size. Was that intentional to keep it on the leaner side? It is very intentional to keep it lean. We have a very simple ministry model, which helps. Mm-hmm. Um, but but um, keeping it lean forces us to do a couple different things. One, it forces us to lean on each other. So our our teams have to be collaborative, and that's important. And so I think people would be surprised at the amount of collaboration, literally at every level, um, that and every process that Life Church has. How collaborative they are, both centrally and from a campus perspective, and then even cross functionally and cross ministry wise. So that's part of it. And then it forces us to use volunteers. Yeah. Um, and so we and we I think we have thirty. 8,000 volunteers on a given in a given month period that we'll engage with. And it's higher than that when we, we talk about total volunteers engaged. So so that's that's really, really an, an important piece. And all of those things. And here's the other thing, too. When people are, when a lean team has, just seems to have less problems. There's mm. just less, because people are just focused on the right kinds of things. and um, And there's not a lot of time to get focused on the wrong kinds of things. And I think that serves. I think that serves us well. I, I, I don't mean. I mean, there's a balance there, but I do think a lean team works functions better. How do you avoid? And I'm sure you can't avoid it perfectly because often this is a, it's a personal issue as much as it's a work issue. But like burnout over overworking, over scheduling, over commitment. Tony Morgan once said, I heard him say this. I think I'm quoting him accurately that. He either finds that in the church, there are lazy people who don't put in their 40 hours or workaholics, and it's hard to find that balance. Um, what have you found in terms of making sure that people don't burn out or 
the extent that you can control that? Well, we um, one, it is something that we talk about a lot because mm. um, Life Church is not an easy place to work. We've known that yeah. for a long, long time, and we don't need to make any apologies for that because I think more often than not, it's not easy for the right reasons. High expectation, um, pace, you know, there's there's a lot to do and, and, and where people are passionate about it. And so I don't, uh, I don't feel bad about that, but we do have to help people manage energy, manage rest and all of those different kinds of things. So it is something that we talk about a lot. Uh, some of the things that we do to try to try to combat that a little bit is even in our leave policy. So we offer an unlimited leave policy for our team. Really? What does that mean? That means that our, our policy is there's no vacation accrual. There's none of that stuff. It's we say take the time that you need when you need it. Uh, and so the caveat is, is that you have to be a good teammate and you just have to make sure uh, that you're able to get your job done. But if you're doing a great job and you're a good teammate, that means you don't leave your team hanging and you work with your supervisor, then we want you to take the time that you need for rest and recovery. Because because like what you already recognize, we used to do all those vacation accruals and, and all of those kinds of things. And But I don't ever remember having problems with people taking too much vacation. Hmm. Right? Generally, the problems were people were working were working really hard and they the conversations we were having with people is man i need you to guard your time off i need for you to make sure that you have your family time uh that your family's your first ministry and we've had those kinds of conversations so we said well let's let's make a statement one about we want you to be rested and so that's why we initiated the policy and two i also wanted to attract people to this organization and to this church that were that would be excited that i trusted them enough to manage their time off in that way and so we instituted that. But even even at that, it is still can be a challenge to help people understand even how to rest. And and um, some of the things that I've been, or we collectively have been making sure team members understand, which is uh, something that somebody, uh, a leader helped me understand when I was a young leader in, in a job that was bigger than I was, which most of the jobs that we have are bigger mm. than we are. And um, and I was trying to 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 muscle it. I was trying to make it happen from the strength of what I could bring to the table. And he just told me, he said, you know, Jerry, this job is bigger than you. And if, if you, you have to understand two things and in order to be successful over the long haul, first thing is you have to understand when you have to be here. And when you have to be here, there's no substitute for your presence. You have to be there. And if you're not, that's a problem. So, but similarly, there are times when you don't have to be here. And if you don't understand the difference between those two things, then this job will will eat you alive. And uh, so, so that was incredibly valuable to me. And I try to try to help our our particularly our young team. And and you know we we've talked a little bit, or, or I don't know if we've talked about it, but but many of our team, about eighty percent of our team, are millennial. And for some of them, this is their first ministry role, certainly. But for many, it's their first job ever. And just helping them understand uh, one how important rest is. And then two, even how to rest and how to understand what rest is, because what's rest for me and what's rest for you might be two completely different things. Yeah. How do you say more about that? How do you help people understand what rest is? Uh, it's, it's a process. So really, I would just try to engage in a conversation with somebody. And, and generally what happens is the conversation is born out of somebody that's that's got to a point where they're struggling. Hmm. Either either they're struggling and managing their, their their life balance with family, or or they're they got to a point where they're really tired, and 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 they don't really. And here's the worst thing is, they've missed an opportunity to rest, and so they're tired, and they're coming into a really busy season. 
And they're already exhausted. And they're already exhausted because they know what's ahead and there's, they can get despondent or they can really become frustrated or any number of different things. And so as a leader, what, what we try to do is just try to be in a position to recognize when that's happening and then be able to sit down with the young leader and help them understand, okay, how did you get here? What can we do to get you the rest you need? Um, so, and some of it's just, okay, how come you haven't got rest to this point? When, what's driving that? Here's, here's a great story that you know, Sam Roberts, who is on the directional leadership team uh, with us, and he leads all of campus operations. Uh, so every leads everything having to do with all 29 locations flows through Sam. And uh, when he was young, this is a conversation, and I don't think Sam would mind me sharing this conversation. I hope not, because I'm going to share it. <laughs> no, I, 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 I know Sam would be fine. But, uh, but Kirk, um, Craig had asked Sam, Sam, when was the last time Sam had been on the team a little over a year at this point? And, and Craig asked Sam, when was the last time he took vacation? And Sam, from an almost a little bit point of pride, said, man, I haven't had a vacation yet. Right. And, uh, and so this is what Craig told him. Um, he said, Sam, um, the reason that you haven't taken a vacation yet is because you're an insecure leader. Oh. And, and, and he said, and I, and I, and I, I want you to take vacation with, and you need to take, if you don't, in fact, he said, I need you to take vacation within a certain amount of time. And if you don't, Sam, I, um, I'll let you go. <laughs> now, I don't know that he would have actually done that, but he certainly got Sam. And Sam is probably at this point, Sam's probably 24. Right. Uh, I mean, Sam was, he came to our team really young. Sam has always been an incredibly special leader. And it was obvious even when he was that young. But, um, but anyway, so that, you know, Sam tells that story much better because Sam's an amazing storyteller. But anyways, uh, but that got Sam's attention. And the reason I say that is because Sam, because Sam shares that story with our young team all the time, yeah. uh, just to help them understand, look, you, you, there's many number of reasons why you might not take rest, but most of the times it's because we're not quite secure in, in what we're doing and where we're at. And we're afraid that if we take off that we might be exposed for not being a great leader or as good leaders we thought, or all of those different things that, that, that get into our heads sometimes. Uh, and so it's just great to, to just have those kinds of conversations. And I'm not, you know, I know there are probably times, I know there are team members right now that, that are on our team that might be even listening to this podcast that are at that point and uh, our point of just being tired. And, and I would just encourage whether on our team or not, that if you're at that point, find a way to get some rest. Yeah. Uh, because, um, yeah. Um, question about, I'm sure you've had to answer this numerous times and there are a lot of leaders listening who are like, but how do you prevent the abuses? How do you, you know, um, what if someone wants to take two months off or six months off or, you know, is every Monday, every Friday, guess what? I'm taking time off. Like, right. have you run into that? And, and because I think Netflix has a similar policy where there sure. are no vacation mm -hmm prescriptions, um, how can you trust people to be self-policing or self-regulating? So they do have to log when they take vacation. So they have to log yeah. it in the system. It has to be approved and all those kinds of things. But, but here, here's the decision that, that we made is, is I can do a couple of different things. One is I can have all kinds of vacation policies um, that most people are not going to abuse. Right. right. Most people show up to work and they want to do a great job. So I can have a whole lot of policies in place that are going to govern the 98% who are going to do what they do well to prevent the 2% from abusing it. Or I can have a policy that's friendly to the 98%. And then I can choose to have conversations with the 2% that might abuse the privilege. Right. 
And so we call that, and it's not new to us. I, we we pick it up. Somebody can just Google managing the two percent, and they would come up. There's a great paper on it. But but um, so we try not to, we try to manage the two percent. We try not to build policies around around one off events where a team member has failed or a team member got us into a, a jam. Uh, typically, if somebody makes a mistake, you say, "Well, I don't ever want that to happen again." So you write a policy. Yeah. And and that's really we try to avoid doing that, which gets back to that whole systems thing again and, and what causes entrepreneurs to leave and innovation to stop. And it's, it's, it's that vicious cycle of somebody does something and you write a policy to prevent that from ever happening again, which one may or may not ever prevent it from happening again, because people are likely to do dumb things, even if there's a policy there. Or two, you can just choose to manage the, the 2% appropriately and have the conversations with the people that need to have them. So uh, I guess that's a long answer to a, a good question that you had is we would just deal with if someone's going to abuse the privilege, we would just help them understand it's inconsistent with what it means to be a, a team member at Life Church. Yeah. And, and, and there's a choice to be made. And, and, our, and our, our hope is that they would understand the difference and make the choice to, to, to be more consistent with the team member that we would want, or they could choose to, uh, to go and be a team member someplace else. I think that's a great insight. We will link to, we'll find that paper managing the 2% link to it in the show notes. But I think that's a really good point. And I wonder if that has helped you stay lean because what I often find in organization is in organizations is that we make rules to manage the exception and don't right. let the exception become the rule. Like if you got 2% of your workforce that's lazy or this isn't the right fit for them or they've got special challenges going on in their life that make them unable to perform their job at this time. That's a conversation. You don't need a policy for that. That's exactly right. Because they're the exception. They're not the rule. Because they're the exception. That's right. Yeah. And we, and we just miss that sometimes. And, and it's, it's a, you know, it makes sense in the moment. God, I don't want that to happen again, but uh, just, just manage the exceptions as the exceptions and, and then make rules that benefit. And here's what I would just say is, Make rules that that create an environment that are that your best are going to thrive in. Mm. And that's your, a great and principle. Can you say that again? That's really yeah, good. Just just make rules that create an environment that your best are going to thrive in, and then that your best are going to be attracted to. Mm. And, and people want to be trusted. People want to to have autonomy. People want to uh, to feel like they have an opportunity to grow. I mean, there's all different kinds of things, and and um, you know, it, it really all of that's really a thread that. You know, through many of the things that we've talked about in our conversation, even even starting off, it's it's how do you how do you stay vibrant? How do you stay lean? How do you stay healthy? How do you stay innovative? And those are all pieces of the puzzle that all come together that that kind of equal. Okay, this is what this looks like. You work with uh, what percentage of your staff is millennials? Huge about eighty percent. Wow. So. Uh, those are basically 20 to 40-year-old leaders these days, uh, yes. roughly. Right. What are the unique challenges and what are the unique uh, great moments of working with millennials? Because they are much maligned by employers, yes. and yet most of my staff over the years have been millennials, and I love working with them. I'd love so to know we, what your experience is, because you're not a millennial. I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm not a millennial. I'm, uh, you know, I am the end of the, uh, I'm the end of the boomer and the, I don't even know. I, I don't even know where I'm at. But anyways, yeah. here's the interesting thing. I, I do think that, um, that the whole millennial thing is, is every generation has, has unique things about that generation. But, but I, what I found with working with millennials is, uh, highly motivated, um, passionate about what they do. 
I don't know that I run into challenges anymore with millennials in the workplace than I have any other anybody else that this may be a first job. Right. Just trying to understand how do you how do you actually approach work? But here's here's I think fundamentally something that we've I've thought about lately and and uh, Craig and I were talking about this the other day is that I think we when we bring people onto the team, we bring people onto the team built uh, based on a set of values. We hire two values right? Both behavioral values, what we call sustaining attributes. Now, those are attributes that are inherent to somebody in order for them to be have permission to play on our team. Um, and or are there values that align with our values? So we hire to that, right? There's a very distinct set of values that we heard. no matter what position uh, you're, you, you, you apply for, want to come on the team, the interview process is very, very similar. And we're going to hire to a similar set of values or the exact same set of values across the organization consistently, no matter what role you come and be a part of. So what that does, though, is it really eliminates or minimizes that whole generational impact. Because I I don't need 10 million millennials. I need about 400 millennials that have these values and attributes as to who they are. And those things are things like work ethic and resilience and, and teachability and, you know, passion for the lost and and a willing to sacrifice. And so, so I'm looking, so what that does is because we hire to that set of values, then I just need millennials that have those values and attributes and they're going to fit on our team just fine because that's true of who they are. Right. So really, if, if people would take that approach and be very systematic and very value oriented and driven in their hiring process, most of the challenges no matter what generation, I think we have four generations that are working at Life Church right now. I don't know about five, but certainly four. And because we have the same set of values that we've hired to and brought people on the team, then all of those things are, so it doesn't really matter what generation you come from. Those things are inherent and true to who you are, what you value, and 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 those things that, that, that are outflows of how you work and, and what you bring to the workplace. They're all consistent, so we don't really have a lot of generational challenge. And I think that's one of the key reasons why. Any chance those values are public or shareable? They are shareable. And I know our vision and values are shareable. That's just our kind of our core values. And that, yeah. that's external. That's on our webpage. And then I believe on open, on our open resources, I believe that we've got those values uh, but certainly I'll make them available to you. Okay. And, you and we'll, we'll either put them in the show notes or link to them in the show notes. And it was a pretty safe question because I don't know that any church in, in America has been more open with their stuff than you have. And I know that was a key decision for Life Church. I think back in 2006, Bobby told me when you guys just decided to open up the vault and God blessed you incredibly. Uh, since then. So if you've never checked out Life Church Open, you guys need to. It's an incredible resource of pretty much everything you do that's shareable is there for free for the mm-hmm. wider church, which is um, which is great. And we're trying to bring more and more to the table. And in fact, I had a meeting with um, uh, one of my people today, and we're just, what can we, more, more team development resources we're going to bring to the table. And so we're excited to continue to add more to that for anybody that would hopefully be helped by them. Well, and you'll see the links in the show notes, and we'll link to Life Church Open as well. We talk about 38,000 volunteers. I mean, obviously, you guys have done a great job um, attracting and keeping volunteers and setting up a pipeline uh, to get more volunteers in the system as you grow. 
A lot of leaders struggle with that. And and you you talked about earlier, that was one of your initial challenges mm-hmm. is like, oh, this isn't Target. Not everybody's paid. What have been some of the keys to you in getting great volunteers to the table? Oh, gosh, there's a lot of different things. Um, one, I think people, first of all, I think people want to be a part. I think people want to I think some people work all week at their jobs and look forward to what they get to do here on the weekends or during the week and to be a part. So I just think, I think you need to have, I think you need to have meaningful things for them to do. Certainly connect what they do to, to the eternal things and life change and all the exciting things that happen. Uh, And then really it's, it's lead them the same way that you would lead your team expect the same thing, you know, trust them to, to do what, what, what to bring themselves, all of themselves to the table, provide meaningful opportunities for them to make a difference, make sure that they recognize the difference that they are making, and then try to, try to make as many things that, or try to make, try to uh, allow volunteers to do as many things as you possibly can allow them to do, um, which will, which will help you be more efficient in the long run. And sometimes there's a little bit of a gap to, uh, okay, can I trust a volunteer to do this? Um, and I think that's some of the biggest hurdles sometimes is I, I don't, I can't afford for this person to make a mistake. So I'm going to hold on to it. And I think some of that oftentimes is more in our, in our mind than it is reality, but, but it causes us to hold tighter to what we might let a volunteer do. Um, so I don't know if that's a, a great articulate answer, but those are the, you know, people want to be needed. People want you to know that they're there. People want to make a difference. So I would try to just remove any barrier or all the barriers that you can to, to allow that to actually happen. You said that Craig asked you to join the staff, which was an easy answer right. for you because God had spoken to you about it before. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you find that even with that many volunteers, you're still doing regular asks? And if so, how do you do that? And how do you find those people? Like, how do you spot, like, I think this guy or this woman could do an incredible job either as a volunteer or staff member? Yes. I mean, that's, you know, all the time volunteer engagement is something that we really work hard on. Keeping volunteers engaged over the long haul is not easy. Um, and we're working all the time on building better systems and processes to where we actually can keep track of where all these volunteers out. How are they doing? Uh, what kind of, you know, spiritually, how are they doing? Um, uh, from a leadership perspective, how are we doing? And so all of those things are true all the time. And, and so we're always making asks. We try not to, um, we, we try not to have a lot of the corporate time and, and asks. I mean, we will, uh, from time to time have, um, a message that lends itself to serving and we'll leverage that, that message and, and try to engage people in serving. But generally the most effective ways, honestly, is at the individual level to have individual conversations with people and say, yeah, at, at, at the end of the day, it comes down to that. There's no, you know, we always want the silver bullet. Is it a stage? Is it stage communication? Is it communication and via email or whatever it is? And there's not really a silver bullet. I think it's all of the above. But at the end of the day, it comes down to a conversation between two people, uh, whether it's an ask to be on the team or whether it's an ask to volunteer. Uh, I, I just don't know that that there's any way around that part. Uh, so then it's just a matter of making sure that you put yourself in position and, and, and learn how to have those kinds of life-giving conversations and don't be afraid to ask. I think that's part of it is, is, um, uh, is don't be afraid to have a conversation and ask somebody to do something significant. 
How do you teach volunteers to recruit volunteers? I'm just going to make the assumption that has to be happening when you have 38,000 people in the mix. You, you know it does, um, yeah. and I, I think I, again, I think it's um, I think it's I think it's vision casting. I think that there are people on our team that do that really, really well. I'm probably not one of them, um, but um, but it's just when you get the opportunity, when you're you know an opportunity to have volunteers around you, make sure and cast a vision for what it is that you're trying to accomplish, and elicit, elicit their support, and that they know great people and they know friends, and and everybody wants, I think kind of the Tom Sawyer thing, you know, everybody wants to, Hey, come paint the fence with me. Yeah. Kind of that kind of mentality. And that's, again, it comes down to conversations, vision, leadership, uh, clear communication. And, um, I I think at the end of the day, it's, it's having a compelling, a a compelling vision and a compelling mission and inviting them to be a part of it. And if it truly is compelling and worth giving significantly towards, then generally people will, will come on and say, okay, I want to be a part of that. Love for you to give some advice. You just have so many years of experience, so much life wisdom, and I mean, man, you're you're leading at an incredible level. So, think back a number of years, and we got a lot of church leaders listening, trying to break the two hundred barrier. So, right. this is where, for a lot of us, uh, the personal span of control disappears. Kind of where Craig was when you met mm-hmm. him around a thousand, and like you're trying to do everything yourself. You're in the weeds. And um, it's tough. What what are one or two really important things that church leaders trying to break 200 in attendance need to focus on in your view? Yes. And um, gosh, okay, 200 was, 200 was the first one. And, and yes. the other thing, the only other thing I was going to add on the 200 piece is that, you know, one, you got to realize that the barrier is there. But then two, the way that, and this is, and the reason it's going to be important is because this is how we actually work through many of the barriers is one, we would ask ourselves, what are we going to have to do differently? Not at 200, but if we were at 400, what would Mm. have to look different? What would I have to do different? What would we have to do? What systems would have to be different? Same thing at a thousand. Okay. If we're going to be a church of 2000, what's going to have to look different? And sometimes you've got to get your mindset so far beyond the barrier that's right in front of you that you have to think completely different. Yep. Uh, And so I, I think that that's, that's part of it is, is just, just try to, to, in your mind, go fo- go far enough beyond the barrier that you're facing immediately to force yourself to begin to think differently about what you do. And that might give you a blueprint to begin to kind of reverse engineer and say, okay, if I need to be this, then okay, what is this next step going to be? Either in people, systems, structure. Because typically, if we're, if, what I realize, if we're not growing, uh, God wants us to grow. Yeah. God wants to reach people. So if, if we're not growing, it's because there's something we don't have quite right, whether it's a system or a structure or a leader. or So whenever we come to that, we just begin to look and dissect and say, okay, where could we, where could we, where could we be wrong here? Yeah, God hasn't it, changed of, his mind. Let's go reach yeah, the world. That, that's right. So where, where do we have it wrong? Are, are we missing the boat on our, our direction? Is it, is it that we have a structural problem? Is it we have a, a leadership either the wrong leader or we haven't articulated this particular role or thing correctly. Um, so there's, there's all of those. One of the bigger barriers that we had to overcome was getting campuses that were outside of our geographical location or, you know, outside of Oklahoma, uh, try to grow them over a thousand. Um, and that was a huge barrier for us. And we had uh, multiple campuses for multiple years that, that had not ever grown over a thousand people. 
and we made a very intentional effort. We just we we certainly made a, a matter of prayer for our ministry that we were just going to really really find out God would press in and figure out what we needed to learn, and then began to to work every different system that we had, people, and just really work very diligently collectively as a whole organization with the intent express focus of how do we grow these campuses at distance over a thousand people. And what it's was just the, funny. What was the barrier there? Uh, you know, I, I can't point to a single thing that says, okay, this is the silver bullet that, yeah. that got us over the hump. I think it was just a collection of effort along the way that we were actually able to get one over the hump. And it's just funny. Once one got over the hump and like dominoes, they would, they just fell. And, and now that's not a barrier for us. That's now insane. a barrier for us is 3000 at campuses at a distance. Hmm. Um, and so, so it's just, it's just interesting. I, I don't know that I can ever go back and say, Oh, that's the thing that got us over the hundred, yeah. I mean the thousand. Yeah. Yeah. And I wish I could, but it's just a collection of different inputs and thought and, and thinking differently and trying different approaches until you actually figure out, okay, that was something that worked. Well, and I guess, you know, one of the lessons might be you didn't just shrug your shoulders and went, oh, well, if it's at a distance, it's just not going to grow. Right, right. right. And, and but pe- plenty of people had told us that you'll never get, you'll never get a campus at distance over a thousand. I've heard that argument. I've heard that argument. And actually, people have pointed to Conexus. We're not a campus. We're a strategic partner saying, you know, in the North Point world, the further you get away from Atlanta, the smaller the churches tend to be. Uh, now, we've made some big changes right. in partner world, but I think that was a widely accepted axiom for a number of years that I'm glad isn't always true. We were the outlier. We were the church over a 1,000 that was over a 1,000 miles away, but um, interesting. Right. Okay, any other barriers that you guys, like, you like, you know, Craig's done that, and if you haven't listened to it, we'll link it to it in the show notes, but his episodes on, um, I think he did two, maybe it was one, but the 3, 10, and 30 was huge. Three campuses, right. 10, you know, three staff, 10 staff, 30 staff, yeah. right? Those numbers keep repeating. Anything else other than that? Uh, no, you know, n- not necessarily so. We've, um, you know, there have been self-imposed barriers, but um, those are just generally we realize we have a structural problem or we haven't built our structure in the right way or that we, in some cases, there was a point in time where we overbuilt our structure and we actually had two, we had, we built it to, to grow faster than we thought we were. And we actually scale back at one point in time. Wow. Uh, so there's all kinds of, of different things like that, but I can't think of anything that we haven't really talked about relative to those barriers. The principle of what I keep hearing is mid course correction. You guys are constantly tweaking, correcting, analyzing. It's not a set it and forget it thing. No, no, it, it's, um, and don't be afraid to fail. Don't, hmm. I think that's the, that's also one of the core things about who we are is we're just not afraid to fail. And, um, and we expect our team to fail. We give people permission to fail. Um, it's, um, I have failed and, and many times and have made some big mistakes along the way and how Craig has always responded to me in those times. Um, and then the, hopefully the way the organization responds to other of our leaders that fail, that's not a bad thing for us. Um, so failure is not a bad word at Life Church. In fact, we, we look forward to Failing provided that we're learning something from it, that we our, our best intentions and effort were given to it, um, and then we're okay with, with accepting that failure and learning from it and moving on. That's really interesting because I think the larger organizations get, the more scared they get. Success makes you conservative. Mm-hmm. You know, the greatest enemy of your future success is your current sure. success. 
How do you guard against that at Life Church? You know, it's um, it goes back to mindset again, and it's really rooted mm-hmm. in that mindset of of being small and nimble. We're a startup yeah. organization, um, and, and we recognize that because we were we actually had an interaction with them when we were much smaller, and there was a much larger church than us, and we had a meeting with some of the senior leadership of the church, and they said, you know, at our size, we can't afford to fail, mm-hmm. and uh, and that was just expressed in the course of the conversation, and we walked away from that meeting. And we articulate, we actually said, you know what, that, that can never be true of us. We wow. always have to be willing to fail. We, we can never get to the point where we're, where we're not willing to try and not willing to do something that, that people might think is crazy or that we might think is crazy at the time. But if God asks us to do it, we're going we're gonna to try to do it. So we actually determined that day that that was going to be something in our mindset that we would never, as much as we could help, but we would never have that mindset. We would always be willing to. Mm. Well, what about uh, church leaders, advice for church leaders trying to break the thousand barrier? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm going to, it's going to sound a little bit repetitive, but the one, the barrier's real, and it's just going to take intentional effort. So here's what I'd say. The solution is not doing the same thing that you're doing today. Mm-hmm. Because you'll just keep bumping your head into that ceiling over and over and over again. So you've got to somehow find and, and break through to a different mindset or a different perspective. And I would start asking, acting like a church of 2000. I would start, if I was a senior pastor, I, I would talk to church leaders of churches of 2000 people and say, okay, what's the difference mm-hmm. in their day and in my day? What's the difference in their staff and in my staff? What's the difference in, in and I would just begin to, to, to probe in and, 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 and try. I mean, if there's anything obvious, if there's a limitation that's, that's obvious, uh, to you, then I would certainly fix that limitation. But if, if you just don't have any idea where to go, I would go at probably double the size of where you're of the barrier you're trying to break through and learn as much as you can about how to operate at that level and then start to implement some of those things and see if it doesn't help break things through. And certainly pray about it. Yeah, we don't want to forget that. We get criticism no. sometimes on this podcast and blog. It's like, Where's the Bible and where's prayer? It's like, well, that's kind of assumed. Otherwise, yeah, every episode would is. be the same, but I'm glad you mentioned it explicitly. Sure. It is the foundation. Um, final question, Jerry, uh, multiple locations. So a lot. I think, you know, Leadership Network released a study that said 85% of all church planners want to be reproducing, multiplying churches, which mm-hmm. is awesome. Um, you were there when Life Church did its first location, which I right. think Craig said on this podcast failed. Like it didn't work. And then you had to like figure it out again. And, uh, you know, you finally figured out what worked. What would, with all of your experience at uh, 29 locations, what would be some tips for people who aren't yet at multi site but are thinking about it that you're like, hey, just pay attention to this? Yeah. So I, I would just say this. First of all, if you don't need to go multi site, don't go multi site. And by that, I mean, if, if you have not fully maximized the resources that you have. So let's say I'm at a church and I've got two worship services on a weekend and they're full and I want to go multi-site. I would say, no, no I would say, don't do that. I, I wouldn't go multi-site until I had exhausted every opportunity in the building that we were in, the facility that we're in to maximize that facility with however many worship services we could cram in a weekend to reach as many people as you could, then I would consider, because here's, here's the thing about multi-site is that it multi-site comes out of margin. Mm. It, it comes out of, you, 
if you don't have margin, you're not going to actually be able to go, to do multi-site. And so it, the, the reason that's a problem is if I go in and, and build, have the expense of a whole nother location and which brings expense for a, more staff and, and I haven't fully maximized what I have already, yeah. then I'm not going to ever have the margin to really move at the speed at which I'm going to have to move the margin to do the ministry that I'm going to want to have. So I would say the first thing is, is maximize, fully maximize where you're at. And if you've done that and you need to go multi-site because God is growing the, the thing bigger than you can, which was in our case, he's just growing it bigger than we can keep up with, then, then go and think about multi-site and then just realize it's going to, you need margin to do it. So that's got to be leadership margin, financial margin, um, personal time margin, energy mm-hmm. margin, all of those different kinds of things. So if you don't, if you're not at a place where you have the margin to do it, then I would work intentionally on figuring out how I could build the margin, certainly the leadership capital, to where then I could go and actually make that happen. Uh, and then the other thing I would do is just is just um, learn from, there's all kinds of great multi-site models out there. Leftrich is just one. But I would find somebody that is doing it similarly, has the same philosophy that you do. Find that multi-site church and go learn as much as I could about it before I pulled the trigger on it. Yeah. Well, this has been a rich time together, Jerry. Thank you so much. Um, hey, if people want to find you online, I know you're not a blogger or a podcaster, but if they want to connect with you, where's an easy place for them to do that on the interwebs? You know, I, you know, honestly, I, I do have a Facebook page. I'm on LinkedIn, but really I don't have a big social media presence on the web, but Life Church Open is a place to find me. Obviously, they can try to communicate through us via the, the Life Church website. Yeah. Um, I, I do, I do respond to email and those different kinds of things. So, uh, you know, it's, it's easy to, to find me at Life Church. And, and if somebody has a question or a problem, we're, you know, I'm available and people on our team are available and we're always looking to help the Capital C Church whenever we, whenever we can. And I know that's certainly my heartbeat and, and the heartbeat of, of most of our, I think all of our team here. So in any way we can help, don't hesitate to reach out and connect and, and we'll, um, and we'll respond. We'll link to that in the show notes. And Jerry, I'm so glad that God called you into ministry and that when Craig asked, you said yes, and you made so many leaders so much better today. Thanks for being with us. Thank you very much for having me, Kerry. I really appreciate it. Well, wasn't that fascinating? I mean, my goodness, that was great. And I got to tell you, like, like that just, I love pulling the veil back on a complex and effective organization like Life Church because, you know, one of the things you realize, and Jerry was so honest, Craig's been so honest in episode 173 and when we had him before, um, that they have all the same problems you have and I have. They just figure out how to solve them. And so, I love conversations like this. You can find everything in the show notes. Just go to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 194 or go to leadlikeneverbefore.com. If you can't remember that, just search Jerry Hurley and you'll find the show notes there as well. We're back next week with a fresh episode. And my guest is actually a really close personal friend. Uh, This guy, man, I got to tell you, I love him. His name is Kevin Jennings. He is super smart. He is whip smart. And he's actually the guy behind the launch of this podcast. He's been in marketing at Orange for a number of years. Now he's out on his own. He's worked at Dave Ramsey. And I asked Kevin, to take, who I think is one of the smartest brains out there in marketing, just to take us under the hood and have a look at what works, what doesn't work in platform development, 
Um, he and I have been in partnership for three or four years now. He is one of the reasons, honestly, you're probably hearing this podcast. So uh, my conversation with Kevin Jennings happens next week. I think you're going to love that interview. And here's an excerpt. I do not like seeing someone who feels called to do something be limited by their lack of expertise in an outside area or just their ignorance mm -hmm. in an area. And I feel like if we're truly the body of Christ, and this is my like my life scripture, <laughs> but if we're truly the body of Christ, I think at some point, if you're a thumb and I'm a pinky, <laughs> if I'm if I'm in your way, I'm hurting me too. Hmm. Because if you're not if you're not in the right particular spot, the whole body's weaker when you're out of line. And and so for hmm. me, if if there's someone who's supposed to be in a certain position, then I feel like it's my job to help them. Like, how can I get behind that? And if there's a message that God gave you to share with some people, it doesn't need to be a million people. It can be a thousand people. Well, those thousands need to hear it. So what are we going to do? Because if you if you can do that, those other thousand are in their space now, and maybe we're all better because of it. And so I remember I told you when I first met you, I said, I care about helping people with a message reach people. And that's, and that's really what it is. It's like, hey, there's someone who really needs it. Um, I think our friend Johnny Cuff says, you know, seeing what you do is medicine. Like, if you have mm. medicine for someone, then I have to, I want to help you get the medicine to someone. Oh, yeah. Did I mention that Kevin's worked with Tony Robbins, Oprah Winfrey, and, and others as well? Yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun. Subscribers, you know you get it for free. For all of you who have left ratings and reviews, over 660 of you, please don't hit 666. That's just a personal thing. Um, anyway, we need 700. <laughs> uh, thank you for all of you who have left ratings and reviews on iTunes. I read every single one of them. Uh, this is so much fun to be able to do. And uh, yeah, why don't we just come back and do that next week? Remember to check out designcrowd.com forward slash carry. Uh, don't worry about, you know, don't do rookie graphics anymore. And don't feel you have to spend, you know, $100,000 to hire staff. Just get them to do it. Crowdsource it. That's what we're doing. And uh, yeah, hope you have a great week. Thank you so much for listening. Hey, by the way, to everybody in Australia, we are getting on a plane and flying home this week. So that's going to be an awful lot of fun. I think we will have just touched down by the time you hear this. So um, really excited uh, for this past month in Australia and New Zealand, where we met thousands of church leaders. And then my wife and I had a little break. So uh, yeah, uh, I'm sure it was good. You know, it's one of those things when you're on a podcast timeline where uh, you're recording things like a month in advance and you're going, where will I be? What was I doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know what the best part is? After what was a brutal winter over much of the United States and Canada, I'm pretty sure it's going to be summer when I get home by the time this goes live. I hope so. Anyway, hope you have a great day, whatever you're doing. We're back next Tuesday with a fresh episode. My buddy, Kevin Jennings, you're going to love it. And we'll see you then. And in the meantime, I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.